Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ImpactVest podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. I'm Aisha Williams, the founder and CEO of ImpactVest. And along with our guest host, we aim to inspire and motivate towards collective positive global impact to solve our world's most pressing challenges in sustainability. With each episode, we will engage in insightful conversations with global change makers, visionaries, and sustainability activists who wish to build a more sustainable and resilient future. Join us now as we create the future of impact. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast. I hope you're having a great start to the week. And today I am speaking to Wilfred Ihoba, who is the founder of Ihoba and Company. Welcome to our podcast, Wilfred. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for the opportunity. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you here. So can you tell us a bit about your company and your vision behind launching it? So Ihoba. The company is uh, an ESG consultancy, so we help business to we assist businesses on their path to become uh, more sustainable. We provide practical environmental, social, and uh, governance solutions to businesses. We help them to make a strategy on achieving sustainability. And so, when you're helping clients become more sustainable, what are some of the most common challenges that you find? We first of all carry out a stakeholder engagement, so we look at the stakeholders' priority, which of the sustainable attributes or indices are more important to the client. So after we carry out each stakeholder engagement with the client, so it varies. It depends on the priority of uh, the stakeholders of the business. And also, it, it also we also focus on the regulatory framework in order for us to design a, a, design a, a strategy for most of these businesses. And how has your own background informed these stakeholder frameworks that you're building for clients because you were a youth advisor to the European Union delegation to Nigeria, and you were also invited by the French government uh, to participate in the new Africa France Summit in Montpellier. Uh, So how has your background actually informed the type of frameworks that you're creating for clients? From a master's dissertation, I wrote on uh, energy vendor. So that actually exposed me a lot to sustainability and energy transition. So energy vendor is an is an energy policy in Germany that uh, that started during the first OPEC crisis. Unfortunately, we are experiencing the same situation currently in Israel. So it, it totally happened during uh, the uh, crisis between uh, in the Middle East between uh, Israel and uh, other Arab countries and. Uh, uh, the OPEC increased uh, the price for most of these uh, foil products. So in most developed countries, they were looking for alternative for carbon-intensive economy. So in Germany, they started the energy vendor policy that, seek to, that, that looked into how they can transition from, uh, from a carbon-intensive economy to a more sustainable economy. So I wrote about that uh, policy framework for my dissertation. And also... I've followed a lot of um, climate conferences. I followed uh, the 2015 uh, Paris conference. I followed uh, the 2022 biodiversity conference in uh, Canada. And uh, I've supported my organization. We've engaged in a lot of uh, most of these forums and also had uh, discussions with uh, politicians, policymakers, and also uh, business uh, businesses on their view about sustainability. 
And so it's quite important to know the different frameworks and the different sustainability initiatives across countries and jurisdictions to be able to create a holistic framework. And I'm sure that you've seen that working with your clients. Um, So on the road to 2030, which is right around the corner here, uh, what do you feel that clients are asking for now that they may not have been asking for even a couple of years ago to be able to prepare their companies for the transition to 2030? Yeah, I think, yeah, they uh, if you follow the, the uh, TPT, the TPT released a new framework, a new guideline to um, transition. Uh, I think it was released today. I was supposed to follow the online uh, webinar. I don't know if it's a webinar, but it's a conference. I was supposed to follow it, but I was very, very busy. So, But I have the uh, PDF file with me and I've gone through it. So one of the problems with uh, businesses and also uh, financial institutions, we're also very involved in um sustainable finance is that most of these businesses do not know how to navigate or to set strategy for their businesses because um, uh, transition or transition plan is extremely complex and it is very difficult. And also because of, uh, so we also look at another factor also by uh, politicians, uh, not just politicians, but uh, government over the country because of uh, the um, Russia war in Ukraine. And also currently the current uh, crisis uh, uh, in uh, between uh, in Israel. So there's a forecast or there's a, a prediction that there's going to be uh, an increase in most of these uh, urban products. So it's going to make transition plan become very, very expensive for most businesses. So uh, businesses need a lot of incentives and a lot of uh, frameworks, easy frameworks by most of these uh, 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 regulatory bodies or most of these are uh, frameworks uh, uh, institutions they need a lot of guide about it they need a lot of uh, conversation so there should be uh, a very good communication between most of these regulatory frameworks and also most of these are uh, government most of these are uh, uh, businesses how do you find that small businesses actually obtain information about the current regulatory environment? For ESG, uh, do you feel like it's easily accessible to most small businesses, or how do you think that the regulatory bodies could make it more accessible for most small businesses to be able to create their transition plans? So, transition plans is extremely voluntary for most uh, small businesses. So, most of these uh, businesses, like I said. I think small that there's a very huge role for small businesses uh, in terms of disclosing their climate-related risk and also opportunities in terms of uh, achieving uh, in a zero economy by 2050 or 2035 by countries. So most of these uh, businesses, there's a lack of communication between um, the most of these regulatory frameworks or these regulatory institutions and small businesses. And also there should be more cooperation between uh, small businesses and uh, there should be more cooperation with small businesses and also businesses that are also large institutions that have um, that have the capacity to guide this most of, most of these businesses uh, to adopt a sustainable plans and also the local governments so the local government need, needs to play a lot of uh, a lot of role so we work with you know, about, uh, we're currently working with some uh, uh, government uh, local government institutions in terms of giving uh, advice to 
businesses and also to plan to work with us, uh, lots of our small businesses and also help them with uh, their transition uh, framework. So there should be there should be a constant communication between the regulatory uh, institutions and also with um, small businesses. It should be very collaborative. So government have to work with um, most of these businesses. And also there should be a lot of investment in green skill in transition education. So education has a lot of role to play in uh, most of uh, most of these uh, activities. And also there should be an encouragement of secularity. So most of these businesses need to understand how to transition from a linear-based economy to a more transition, to a more secular-based uh, uh, business model. Do you find that there is a difference between jurisdictions on how ESG and impact is approached? For example, uh, we've found many times within our portfolio companies that the S in ESG is highly valued in terms of how do we actually verify it, measure it, uh, how do we take into account social issues when we're speaking about ESG when we get here into Europe or the UK or the US, uh, the E is uh, more favored in ESG in terms of environmental concerns. And so how do you feel that the approach or perspective towards ESG and impact vary across jurisdictions? And how does that affect the frameworks that you create for your clients? Well, recently, I think three labels was uh, um, the regulatory body introduced three labels to recognize an ESG fund. So there's a, a sustainable focus fund. There's an impact business, uh, there's an impact fund that has, that uh, its major focus is to address Social and uh, environment needs. Uh, we are not much into ESG investment, but it's something we are exploring today. We are uh, today we had um, before this meeting we had um, a discussion with um, another uh, ESG investment organization uh, about collaboration. We are not much into it, but we've had a lot of um, we have a lot of discussion and a lot of collaboration with most of these um, uh, ESG um, firms or ESG. Um, community. So one is to understand what is being deemed as sustainable. So I think for a business, you have to understand or have a very good knowledge of interior labels of uh, sustainable funds. Another is uh, to have meetings with most of your investors or your stakeholders of what they perceive as being called sustainable. Some might, although the environmental aspect of uh, sustainability is more it's more recognizable by the public, but uh, also the social and the governance aspect is extremely important. And also, if you read, uh, I read uh, about, I think about six days ago, I read um, a report um, in uh, the Financial Times on the downtrend of ESG, and they did some analysis of how ESG had a very good, uh, a very good attraction from 2014. No, sorry, 27, yeah, 2017 to 2021, and how currently, especially in the US, how there have been a they've been a downtrend when it comes to ESG in the US. Although in the European countries it's a bit stable, but compared to the US, it's uh it's it's having a downtrend at the moment, especially by politicians who uh see most of these uh who see ESG as not being as being a diversion from companies performing uh their their, um, their, their utmost duty, they see it as a diversion 
And not, not, not just that, most businesses don't see it as sustainable. Most businesses, they don't perceive it as sustainable. People see it as scam. So there have to be an underlying knowledge about what is sustainable. So there needs to be a lot of education on sustainability, the importance of sustainability, and how it can get to achieving a net zero economy. Yes, and I think that's a great point, um, that there is a divergence um, between uh, the U.S. and Europe and the U.K. in terms of how ESG is viewed and the integration of ESG within financial decisions. Um, I I find um, here in Europe and the U.K., that there is a deep integration of impact and ESG throughout, uh, we'll say, making a portfolio or financial decision. And in the U.S., it seems to be more of a divergence in terms of what could be possible, the negative effect of ESG on and investment. And so it and, and so when we speak about sustainability, it really is uh, depending on the cultural perspective of what is considered sustainable, like you said, Wilfred, and and that becomes really qualitative and subjective. Right? And and that is probably uh, for the regulatory bodies uh, quite challenging to be able to place something that is subjective into a quantitative framework, right? How do you approach this within your work of these sort of varied definitions of sustainability across jurisdictions, across countries, um, and then somehow in sustainability and impact, we have to be able to place it within a cohesive framework. Um, so, so how do you place all of these differing perspectives together within the frameworks that you create for your clients? So firstly, we have to look at most of the guidelines set by regulatory institutions or government institutions. So mostly we look at uh, TPT reports. Like I said, there was a report that I read, the TPT report this is called a Transition Plan Tax Force here in the UK. And also we look at guidelines set by GFANS, we look at uh, IFRS, we look at those uh, kinds of reports in order for us to have a concise and also a framework that is in line with a national guideline. So that is extremely important to have a framework to be on the same page with most of these regulatory institutions. Another is collaboration. So we, we also try to uh, join in discussion with other institutions, especially big institutions, on what they perceive as um, as sustainable and how, how they go about their sustainability uh, strategy. So over time, we've been part of most of this discussion. Last week was uh, the um, Economies Sustainability Week. We were part of. Uh, we tried to be part of it. It was, I think, it was on Monday to Thursday. So we engaged in most of the conversations by most sustainability heads in most of our different organizations, not just in the UK, but all over the world, and also collaboration. So we have a lot of collaborations with um, a lot of companies. We, we don't do carbon accounting, so we have a collaboration with uh, a carbon accounting companies. We have uh, a, a collaboration with uh, a financial sustainable institution. We have collaboration. So collaboration play, plays a huge role. 
uh, in understanding most of these frameworks and most of these and, 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 and most of these are acronyms. Actually, there's a lot of acronyms when it comes to uh, sustainability, especially here in the UK. Too much, uh, too much uh, acronyms to skip through, but it, but when you collaborate or you have discussions about this, it is uh, very easy for you to understand this. And also, naturally, with uh, natural disasters all over the world, currently in the UK, I think there's a heat wave. I'm currently experiencing a lot of heat at the moment. So people are beginning to perceive and also experience increase in climate change. And this is a climate risk for businesses. So naturally, people are trying to people are trying to engage in this kind of conversation on how the climate temperature uh, should be uh, should be reduced on how it can be stable. So, and also other uh, other natural disasters in other countries are making people becoming more aware of achieving net zero. So, so there should be and uh, going forward, there should be a lot of discussions about this. There should be a lot of uh, we see like rules of uh, policies around the world. We see what uh, like uh, in in the US, the role of the uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, the way it's playing in encouraging sustainability in, in the US, same with China, same with uh, Singapore, and also other developing countries making uh, pledges to become more sustainable by 2050. So there's a lot of uh, work going on at the moment. Yes, and it's, it's great that you mentioned the Inflation Reduction Act. That is a um, great law aimed at uh, reducing the negative impacts of climate change. And we all feel the effects of climate change uh, and businesses definitely do within their supply chains and throughout the value chain of the business. And so even if you are a small business and you don't have an obligation to actually report on any climate-related impacts, now that we all know that climate change is here, that there many businesses want to be able to implement transition plans to be able to be prepared for possibly further effects caused uh, by the climate crisis. Um, so if I was a small business, for example, and I wanted to prepare my business uh, for 2030 to prepare for further effects of climate change on on my business, on the value chain and supply chain within it, uh, what would be the number one piece of advice, Wilfred, that you could give me to prepare my business? So first of all is to understand what is sustainability and how you can look at how you can measure your carbon footprints within your organization. So we make you understand um, scope one, scope two, scope three, uh, emission, although scope two is very difficult for small businesses because it's very expensive. So we look at your scope one emission, we look at your scope two. We, we first of all make most of these terms become uh, more uh, easy to understand for most of these businesses. And also we make them, firstly, we make them understand the importance of sustainability and the um, the benefits. We make them understand that this is not just uh, a pledge, a national pledge or something you have to do to be patriotic. There's also a, uh, a financial benefit attached to it. So being very sustainable, you meet the, you meet most of the standard by most of these uh, regulatory body. And also your customers, most uh, customers currently, they, especially with the younger generations, they like to patronize businesses that are sustainable. So when your business becomes sustainable, 
you get a lot of uh, customers. And also, if you are looking at expansion, so for instance, you want to go to the bank uh, to get a loan or you want an equity investment. So most investors, they look at how sustainable your business is and the kind of um, sustainability uh, measures uh, you've adopted. So make you understand not just uh, the uh, obligation of becoming more sustainable, we also make you understand the benefits of being sustainable. And also we try to make you understand the procedures on becoming sustainable, make it extremely easy for you because most of these small, most of small businesses, they are not uh, very uh, educated on sustainability measures. So you make it extremely easy for you without mentioning most of these acronyms because the acronyms are extremely numerous. So you make it more easy. And the last is also to advise on incentives by the government. So different governments all over the world are providing incentives for businesses to make it more easy for businesses to adopt most of the most of these are uh, to become more sustainable and to adopt most of these are sustainability uh, strategy. And that's really excellent advice. Thank you, Wilfred. And I know that our listeners will appreciate it as well. Well, thank you very much for being on our podcast today. And I do hope that we see each other again at a conference uh, in the future. We actually met at the Economist Impact Conference. And so I am sure that we'll be seeing each other again. Yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. All right. Thank you, Wilfred. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Impact Vest podcast, transformative global innovation in a new era of impact. Join us next week for another episode and become part of our Impact Vest newsletter community, where you will receive all of the latest updates about our work in this new era of innovative impact finance. See you next week as we create the future of finance at Impact Vest.